This morning, continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit as we've been going through that. And we're getting pretty close to the end now as we've been going through this. It's what we've taken from that passage out of Galatians, Galatians 5, that says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Today, talking about gentleness. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about gentleness, what it means to be gentle. Let me tell you how my morning goes on Sunday, because on Sunday, I get up early and everyone else tries to sleep in. So I'm the first one up on Sunday mornings and everyone else is sleeping. And and there's a certain way I go about things then on Sunday morning. I mean, I still have to get dressed in what I'm going to wear to preach and I still have to eat some breakfast and still have to get my things together and get out the door. But I do those things gently, right? I, I don't stomp around on the hardwood kitchen floors as I'm getting around and getting breakfast, right? I'm not slamming cupboard doors and clanking dishes around. I don't slam doors around in the closet getting my clothes or in the rooms of the house. I do those things gently. If someone else happens to wake up and show their face, I don't shout out, hey, good morning, because others are still sleeping. It's more of the the whisper, good morning, right? Gently, we do those things. An example there of some things that, at least for me, in my routine on a Sunday morning, I do with some gentleness. So maybe we do have different ideas of what comes to mind when we think about what it means to be gentle. But today I want us to think about how that works as a spiritual fruit that we bear. Right, Something that is given to us, planted within us by the Holy Spirit, and then we bear the fruit of gentleness. It doesn't mean that we always tiptoe around on hardwood floors or gently close doors. It means more than that. It means something spiritually for us. So so let's dig into that. Let's figure out what gentleness means as a fruit of the Spirit. And today I'm going to use some words that come from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, I'm beginning to read at verse 12, where it says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gentleness. Well, you know, this passage I read in Philippians, it doesn't actually ever mention the word gentleness or being gentle. 
I think we've got to pull that out of these words. And, uh, but I think we can do that, all right? So, so let's work through a little bit of this and figure out how gentleness works as a fruit of the Spirit and how that shows up in our lives. First of all, a little bit of context around this because where I read today, beginning at chapter 2, verse 12, it begins with the word, therefore. So it's an ongoing discussion of something that takes place previously. We've, we've got to fill in some of those gaps so that these words make sense to us. Where the Apostle Paul is coming from and where he's going with these words that he's putting in front of us today. Therefore, what is he talking about? Well, I'm, I'm going to cut right to it and say, you know, the, the section that he's talking about begins in chapter 1, verse 27. That's where he sets up the theme that gets us to where we've read today. So I'm, I'm going to put it on the screen here, right? Chapter 1, verse 27, this is what he writes as the beginning of this section. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. All right. If I went around the room and I asked everyone, what does that mean? How do you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel? I just might get back as many different answers as there are people in the room, right? That, that's kind of a vague concept, isn't it? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? How do we do that? What does that mean? How does that come forward? I think Paul gives us some of the clues right here in this passage, right? When, when he talks about how to do that, towards the end of that verse, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith. That he's, he gives a nod there towards unity. And that's part of the theme that comes all throughout the letter of Philippians, is that he's urging the people in Philippi, the church there, to be one, to have unity together. That their love for one another would bind them together. There's a piece of that unity then that shows up in what Paul is saying about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It means that we place our unity and love together as a priority towards the top. That we strive to do that whenever and wherever we can, to be one together. If you were to keep going on into the beginning of chapter 2, which I picked it up at verse 12, so we skipped over the first 11 verses of Philippians 2, but the theme of that section in those verses is humility. That Paul is urging the people to have the mindset of Christ and Christ who was humble. If you were to go back and read that first section of chapter 2, you would see that. That he highlights the humility of Christ and urges that we may be people who have that same spirit of humility. And again, in Philippians 2 verse 2, talks about being of one mind and one spirit. The unity that comes together within that. He takes that one forward then, right? That, that sets the theme. 
the theme that comes forward in all of those verses leading up to where we picked it up, therefore, right? Those things have got to be in mind then. All those things that Paul urges about, you need to be one together in love and you need to have the humility of Christ in what you do. Therefore, he begins that section that we're reading today. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, we need to stop on this one for just a minute or two. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Those are verses that can be misinterpreted so easily, and often they are. What does that mean? To work out your salvation. Let's deal with that one first. Working out your salvation. If you were to look at just those two verses, right? Verses 12 and 13, the word work shows up twice. Once in verse 12 and once in verse 13. The first one where it's a nod towards working out your salvation in fear and trembling. But then in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. According to his purpose. So, two examples of working there. But, I'll show some of my Greek nerdiness here, right? There two different Greek words. Even though it shows up as work in our Bible, it's not the same word. And, and they have different meanings, very different meanings, which will be helpful. I think it'll be helpful. Let me start with verse 13. Verse that says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose, right? To will hearts and our minds, and to act, our actions, the way we live. God works to do that. It comes from the Greek word energos, and it's where we get our English word energy, and it leans, it simply means activity which causes something to be. So God's work in us to will and to act according to his purpose is, is a word that is God giving activity to cause something to be, which is kind of the same as a little bit of where our English word energy comes from, right? Energy is what causes something to happen. The car, the, uh, the battery that's in my car gives the energy so that when I turn the starter key, it starts up. Hey, I still have one of those cars that turn a key to do that, right? Energy, that God works. God provides the energy He gives the action that's necessary for us to be people who can will and act according to God's purposes. That's the work that God does, that he jumpstarts that in our lives, right? Does that make sense? That's how that work goes. Now let me back up. Let me back up to verse 12. Work out your salvation. That's a different word. That's the Greek word katergadzomai. It's a bit of a mouthful. But that one simply means showing a result that is produced, right? Showing a result that is produced. In fact, let me substitute that definition into the verse, what Paul is saying there. He says, instead of work out your salvation, he's saying, show the result that is produced in you by your salvation. Let it show. You remember math class? I know it's summer. I'm sorry to bring up school. 
math class when you would have those assignments and it would be one of those really long equations. And the teacher, I mean, you could just write down the answer, but that was never good enough, is it? What does the teacher always say? Show your work. That's katergadzomai, right? That's what's here in verse 12. Show it. Show the work, right? Let me see how you got there. Let me see how this comes about. Let me see what brings about what is produced here. That's what Paul is getting at in this one. Something about being able to show the work that we have in that. And then the next phrase, with fear and trembling. We better spend a minute on that one too. Now, I'm not going to go with all the Greek and Hebrew words on this because this one's not a matter of different words. This one is a matter of nuance. It's the same word, but in the Bible, context gives you the clue to what it actually means. So there are examples in the Bible where fear actually comes across as being terrified or worried, right? Whenever an angel shows up with a message, Right? Whoever sees the angel is usually afraid, kind of filled with terror. But that same word, fear, also applies in different ways. Often in the Old Testament, you see the commands there to, to live in the fear of the Lord. But that context is totally different. It doesn't mean that we live as people who are terrified of God. In that context, fear means reverence, respect. Awe. That's the context that Paul is after here. I mean, it seems rather obvious in what he's telling us, right? He's not telling us to live in terror of God. At least when he's saying, you know what, show the work of God's Spirit in your lives. It's not very helpful to show that in ways where we're just terrified people. That's not helpful. But to show that in ways that give evidence to the reverence and the awe, and the respect that we have for God. That makes sense. Especially when you consider the things that I brought forward as the theme, right? Those themes that began back in, verse, in, in chapter 1, verse 27. That theme of unity and love, and that theme of humility that you read about in those opening verses of chapter 2, that consider others more important than yourselves. Look to their needs above your own needs that there's something about doing this in a way that embraces some reverence and awe and respect for God. Uh, Let me put those ideas together, and and I'm just going to paraphrase then verses 12 and 13, and I'll put it up here on the screen. A, A paraphrase of how I would put these ideas together in a way that maybe gives a little better understanding around that. I would paraphrase it this way. Show the work of God in my life, by embracing an attitude of humility with one another out of reverence and respect for God. I think that's what Paul is pretty much laying down for us in those first two verses we read today. Show the work of God in my life. How do I do that? By embracing an attitude of humility with one another out of reverence and respect for God. It comes forward to us that way. That this is what Paul is trying to develop and put some words to and flesh out for us as how it is that we live in a manner 
worthy of the gospel. But all of that is a setup, right? Everything from chapter 1, verse 27, all the way up through what we've read here through beginning with verses 12 and 13, that's a setup. That's the introduction. That's sort of the preamble. And now he's going to really lay it down. And he's doing it with one sentence, and it comes right around the corner from this. Verse 14, one phrase. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Or maybe you're looking at an English version that says without complaining or arguing, complaining or fighting. All those things that that have brought us up to this point then, right? All those things about a theme of unity and humility and showing the work of that salvation that's come to us so that others can see that. How do I do that? How do I live in a manner worthy of the gospel that shows that? Paul's got one instruction there. Do this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing complaining. We love grumbling, though, right? We love complaining. Well, maybe we don't love it. We do it so easily. It just seems to come so naturally sometimes to us. It's a word that actually does not appear much in the New Testament, grumbling, complaining. It's kind of rare in the New Testament that Paul would Bring that one up. But it's not rare in the Old Testament. In fact, in particular, in the book of Exodus, for the people wandering in the wilderness, that part of the narrative of the Old Testament, very often you see again and again examples of the people grumbling, complaining, arguing. That 40 years that that generation that God took out of slavery and brought to the promised land. If you know how that story goes, it took about three months to get from the Red Sea to the borders of the promised land. At that point, they sent in spies, but they were terrified. That was the fear that was really terror. And they said, we can't go there. We can't do that. So instead, they went back to the wilderness and for 40 years grumbled and complained argued and that generation died off that generation that all they did was grumble and complain and argue they never saw the promised land they never got there it's one of those themes from exodus during that time Paul's bringing this word that hardly ever shows up again in the New Testament, but is rich in the Old Testament, and he's bringing that forward. In fact, one of the phrases that he quotes in this line, one of the phrases in this passage that he quotes in verse 15, so that you become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. So he's giving a definite nod back to the Old Testament in this passage as he's bringing up this how easy it is to be people who grumble and complain and argue and how that takes place. And sometimes, sometimes I, I admit I find myself complaining without even realizing that I'm complaining. It just happens that easily, that fast, right? 
I suppose it happens like that for all of us at various times and places. I bring that up, and, and you know, when, when I was reading and studying on this during this week, here's how that works. Tell me if it works this way for you as well. I start reading about that and get to this point of, yeah, do everything without grumbling and arguing and complaining. And Man, do I have a list in my mind of people who need to hear that. Wow, there's people that I know out there who they could use less grumbling and complaining and arguing, right? Especially if you're a parent with teenagers, right? That kind of a reaction. But, but that's not the point here. That's not the point, and that, that won't be very helpful for us. Because the Bible is never meant to be a sledgehammer to knock other people with. The Bible is a mirror to see our own reflection. This is only going to do us any good if we take this instruction here and take a look at ourselves. Because here's the thing. I'm not responsible for any of your spiritual fruit. I'm not. And you're not responsible for my spiritual fruit. We are each responsible for our own spiritual fruit. So this has to be something that comes as a look at ourselves when we think about what it means for us to be people who find it so easy to grumble and complain and argue at various times. Or, or to take that even further, when we get together and do that. Right? I mean, you, maybe you've heard the phrase, misery loves company. Sometimes we get together and do those things. When I lived in Kalamazoo, I, I had a small group of guys that every month we met for breakfast. And as we started out doing that, we, we went to the same restaurant and Okay, I know you can relate. We sat in the same table, right? And maybe even ordered the same things, that kind of a thing. But the next table over from us, we began to notice it's the same group of guys who are at that table every time too. And, and it wasn't consistent. I know some of you, you know, every Monday, the guys are there. Every Friday, the ladies are there. We would sort of knock around with work schedules of what worked. But no matter what day we showed up, that table of guys was there. I began to wonder that I think they're actually there for breakfast every single day, sitting at the same table. And it didn't take us long to realize that, you know what? All they did was complain. That's all they did, because we could overhear them. All right, they were elderly and had to talk maybe a little more loudly to hear each other, right? I, I won't say any more than that, but... We could overhear. And all they did was complain. Complain about the weather. Complain about traffic. Complain about, you know, taxes on their property. Complain about politics. Whatever. Just complain. And then we began to realize as, you know, those weeks went by, something else. It was always the same thing. They would get back and they would sit there and they would complain about the exact same stuff every single day, at least what I assumed to be every day that they were together. It never changed. All they did was just grumble and complain again and again and again. And there was a moment where uh, two friends and I who would get together and do this, because at first we heard that and and we kind of joked. We thought, you know, someday that's going to be us, right? That's coming. We're going to get there too, But I think it hit us as we realized what was happening of, 
We don't want to be that. We don't want to become that. How can we avoid it? How can we be different? What do we have to do so that we are not those people? And I think that's the question that comes to us today too, right? So yeah, we read this instruction from Paul in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Yeah, I would love to be that kind of person. How? How do I do that? How do we become those kind of people who, who can do things without grumbling and arguing? Is it simply a matter of trying harder? Well, maybe, but I don't know that that's going to get us there. There's got to be more to it than just trying harder. What is it that we have to embrace so that we can be people? who can, in fact, do things without the grumbling and the arguing and the complaining. And this is where, I think, gentleness comes in. This is where we begin to talk about the spiritual fruit of gentleness. Because it is that spiritual fruit of gentleness that comes into our lives and helps us urges us to become those kinds of people who can do things without grumbling and arguing and complaining. Let's see how this works out for us. Because I'm, I'm going to say here that gentleness is in fact the medicine for grumbling and complaining and arguing. It's the thing that helps to give the remedy for that. It's not just a matter of trying harder, right? Think of it in terms of medicine. If I'm sick... I don't just have to try hard to get better, but sometimes I need to take the medicine to do it. I need to take the remedy to get better. Gentleness gives us the remedy. Let me make two comments about gentleness as we see this then that helps put some context around this, okay? First of all, gentleness. Here's what gentleness does. Gentleness alleviates forceful, manipulative coercion. Right, when... When I get up early on Sunday mornings and I'm the first person up and I'm, I'm, I don't have to slam doors. I don't have to stomp around on the kitchen floor. I don't have to clank dishes around. I don't have to use that kind of force. Being gentle means, you know what? I'm going to be mindful of the other people who are here. And because I'm being mindful of the other people who are here who are still trying to sleep, I don't have to be that forceful. I don't have to be aggressive like that in that situation at that time. Now, if everyone else was up and gone and out of the house, what difference does it make? But given the time and the moment and who else is there, being mindful of the needs of the other people around me, it checks me there to say I don't have to have that kind of force I don't need to have that kind of aggression. And it works out in other ways too, right? I don't have to have, I don't have to be the person who's always forcefully manipulating the agenda to move forward. I don't have to be the person who's always trying to coerce others into doing things my way, the way I want to see it done. Gentleness alleviates that kind of forceful, manipulation and coercion. Gentleness checks us on that. 
We don't have to be people who do that with others. We don't have to behave like that with others. We don't have to argue like that with others. But let me also note this one into it as well, that gentleness does not change what we do. It changes the way we do it. Let me go back to the Sunday morning thing again. You know what? I'm still doing the same activity. Whether I get up and slam doors and stomp feet and clank dishes, or I do it gently, the same activity happens. I still get up. I still get out of bed. I still walk around in the kitchen. I still open and close cupboards. I still eat breakfast. I still go out the door. The activity is still the same. It's not the actions are different, but the way I do it is different. That's important to note because gentleness does not mean that we simply back away and don't do anything. So yes, I don't have to forcefully manipulate an agenda I still have an agenda. There's still things I need to do. There's still things that need to get done. It just changes the way that I do it. Right? That's how gentleness works through. Not in necessarily taking away or changing the actions, but it affects the way we do those actions, the way that we go about that. That's how it shows up in our lives. How does this come to us then? as a spiritual fruit. Where does this land as something that we can take forward together? This is where I think it comes back to what first noted in chapter 1, verse 27. Right? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That it brings us to that place of prioritizing that unity and humility that we have together. That's how it shows up. It shows up in some of the other places in the New Testament as well. Jesus gives a nod towards this in the command that he gives his disciples in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how it shows up. That's how people see it, by loving one another. I think that's what Paul is alluding to and and says quite a bit more poetically in what we read here today, right? Do everything without grumbling and complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. It's what shows up. It's what people see. Granville is a changing community. The kind of people, the kind of families that are moving into Granville now, they're not people who are looking for a church. They're not. It's not priority in their lives. They don't care about what kind of music we do here. They don't care about what the messages are like and what's preached. They don't care about the programs that take place because they're not looking for it. They don't care about it. What do they care about? What do they see? What does the Bible tell us? What does the Bible tell us that shows up for people to see? Jesus says, by this, everyone will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, Paul says, you will shine like stars among them in the sky. They will see you. They will recognize you. 
if you do everything without grumbling and complaining. I don't mean to minimize things like our music and our preaching and our programs. Those are all important things. But it's not only what we do, but the way we do it. That's where gentleness shows up and comes in. In every part of our lives that we see that taking place. That comes to us then as an instruction to take forward that we strive towards unity and love together as people who act in gentleness. It's possible. It's possible for us to do that together because of Jesus in our lives. Jesus is what makes that happen. Jesus is the one who gives the power, the energy for us to will and to act according to God's purpose. We simply show that work in how we live in gentleness. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the instruction there of how to live in ways that follow you. God, we are, we're sorry for the times when we've tried to control and manipulate an agenda that has stomped right over top of other people, that has pushed others to the side, that has not valued others the way you value others. So Lord, may we once again be returned to a focus on the mission you've given us. May we still move forward in your will, but may we do those things with gentleness. Thank you for giving us that. Thank you for giving us your heart to work through us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.